Thank you, Lisa, for that ministry of music. Once again, I would remind you that the purpose of the book of John is to bring us to belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 20, verse 30 states, And many other signs, therefore Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. We come to a section in the book of John that narrates the various circumstances by which a number of different people come to believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, it's John. Next week, it's Mary Magdalene, followed by the larger number of apostles, and then Thomas himself. And all those circumstances have some things in common and some things that are unique to each one. After the crucifixion of Jesus, the disciples are tremendously dismayed. Despite Jesus' teaching on the matter, none of the disciples really anticipated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When I say none of the disciples, I think Mary, the sister of Martha, did, but that's, that's it. Today, the narrative focuses on the person of John. And what were the circumstances that caused him to come to faith and believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then how that is helpful and instructive to us. The key verses are verses 8 and 9. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. This is a very simple narrative, not a very simple outline. What John did what John saw, and what John believed. So let's start off with what John did. Well, John went with Peter to the empty tomb. So why did John go to the empty tomb in the first place? Well, it came as a result of Mary Magdalene's prompting. It was Mary Magdalene who, in this narrative, first discovered that the tomb was empty. Look at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She reported, not that Jesus had risen from the dead, for she had not yet believed that, but... She came reporting that the tomb was empty and that someone had taken the body of the Lord out of the tomb. Presumably, in her thinking, this was either the Roman government or some grave robbers. She didn't know. But someone, she assumed, took the body of Jesus out of the tomb. So John went with Peter to the empty tomb and John got there first. Verses 3 and 4. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter 
and came to the tomb first. So, what is the significance of John arriving at the tomb before Peter? Let me give you an illustration of the kinds of things that commentators do with passages of Scripture. Oftentimes, the emphasis is not on what the Scripture says, but on what it does not say. The Scripture does not tell us why John got there before Peter. Now, commonly, historically, the answer has been given that this shows that John was younger than Peter. Perhaps. Perhaps. But I can come up with a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, perhaps John was younger than Peter. Perhaps John was thinner than Peter. Maybe Peter was this big, whopping guy, and John was this really thin and nibble guy, and he got there first. Maybe John was in better shape. Maybe he was, you know, buff. And uh, Peter was out of shape. Maybe John just ran faster than Peter. Or maybe John was more devoted and excited to see the empty tomb. You can go anywhere with that. And you can go anywhere with the applications. We should be more decided. We should get in shape, join a gym so that you can enjoy the blessings of God. I mean, you can go anywhere. None of that is in the text. The important element is what is stated. And that is, he, that is John, got there first. Not why he got there, but the fact that he was there first. Now, why is that significant? Well, having arrived at the tomb first, he remained outside the tomb. Look at verse 5. And stooping and looking in, he saw So, this doorway of the tomb would have been small. Uh, It would have been an opening that you would have had to crouch down in order to get in. And so, John gets there first and, and he scooches down and peers into the tomb. Now, Peter arrives on the scene and enters the tomb and examines the grave clothes. Verse 6. Simon Peter therefore also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he beheld the linen wrappings. Had it not been for Peter, most likely, John would not have, for whatever reason, entered the tomb. That's what the text emphasizes. Notice verse 8. So the other disciple, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also. Entered then also. The reason to tell us that John got there first is to demonstrate the hesitancy that he had in going to the tomb. Even though he got there first, he wasn't the first one in. Peter, though the second one there, was the first one in. And it was because of Peter that John then entered the tomb. He followed him in. That's the significance. And then we're told what they saw. Verse 6. Simon Peter therefore also came, followed him and entered the tomb, and beheld the linen wrappings. 
You may have a translation that says, and saw the living, the linen rapids lying there. There are a number of different Greek words conveying the concept of seeing in these verses. The first is found in verse 5. And stooping down, he, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. So, John gets to the tomb first. He doesn't go in. He stoops down, and he looks in, and what does he see? He sees linen wrappings lying there. Then, Peter arrives on the scene, and he enters. And notice, our text says, he entered the tomb, verse 6, and beheld... Linen wrappings lying there. It's a different Greek word from the word to see that's found in verse 5. This is a word that means to examine closely. He went in and he looked at these linen clothes. That's Peter. Meaning that that he looked carefully at them. He went over and stared at them and peered at them. In a kind of amazement and wonder. He didn't pick them up. He didn't move them. He didn't disturb them in any way. But he's intently looking at and examining these linen cloths. What does this mean? Peter is wondering. John enters. And in verse... Eight. So the other disciple who had also, who had first come to the tomb, entered then also and saw and believed. Another different Greek word. This is the word to see with eyes of belief. It's kind of like the old adage, you know, the blind men said, I see, I understand, I understand. John looked at these grave clothes and it clicked. He understood what had happened. John saw these grave clothes and he believed. His eyes were lightened. They were open. The fact that the wrappings were there said that it was not the officials or Jewish leaders that had removed the body, for they would not have unwrapped it. It said that they were not robbers, for they would not have laid these things neatly together, but would have been in a hurry and would have just left. Now, we know that there's much more to the story than that. There's much more to help us in our faith. We know that there was a guard there. And that, that that guard ensured the fact that nobody stole the tomb. There's much more to the narrative, but it's focusing not on us. It's focusing on John and what John knew, what John saw, and what John came to believe. He saw and he believed. He saw and he believed. What did John believe? Well, it's very clear. If you look at verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that that he must rise again from the dead. He's emphasizing the fact that up until that point, they didn't get the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. So what did he believe? He believed that Jesus rose from the dead. He put it together. The light went on. And and he believed. Whether Peter believed it or not at this point, we don't know. And it's irrelevant. Again, it's not the purpose of the narrative. 
It's about John and his testimony. And John believed. And Peter, I don't know. Doesn't matter. John did. The light went on. He believed. John and the other disciples, it is important to understand, had believed much up until this point. Okay? We're talking specifically about John believing in the resurrection. John had believed a lot about Jesus up until this point. Just listen as I walk us quickly through the book of John and a narration of the disciples' belief. In the very beginning, the first miracle that Jesus did in his earthly ministry was at a wedding at Cana of Galilee. He performs the miracle of turning water into wine. John 2.11 says this, This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So, three years earlier, John is said to believe in Jesus. He saw Jesus' power to do miracles. He believed. They believed the message that Jesus gave came from God. Simon Peter said in, in chapter 6, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. Referring to himself and the other apostles. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We believe. And we know. What is most striking are the words of Jesus himself. In the high priestly prayer of John chapter 17, Jesus says in praying to his Father, The words which thou hast given me, I have given to them, referring to the immediate disciples. And they received them, and truly understood that I came from thee, and believed that thou didst send me. So Jesus himself says, concerning John, that he has believed in me, and he has believed that you have sent me. He believes that I came from you. And he believes that the message I have is your message. John believed in Jesus. This isn't the moment of John's conversion. But it is the moment that the light went on and John could begin to see how this whole ministry and work of Jesus was coming to pass. He understood that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, if you've got a King James, it says, For as yet he did not know the scripture that he must rise from the dead. NAS and NIV translates it, They did not understand the scriptures. The NAS and the NIV translate the meaning. The, uh, N the uh, King James translates literally, Literally, they did not know, but the, the, the context of that is they didn't understand. They didn't comprehend. It's not that they weren't aware of what Jesus said about the resurrection that would take place. But 
It didn't grip them. And when it says they didn't understand it, it doesn't mean that cognitively they couldn't explain it. It means it didn't reach deep into their soul and transform them. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 2. So that you see where this interpretation comes from. John chapter 2, starting with verse 18. The Jews, I'm in John chapter 2, verse 18. The Jews therefore answered and said to him, that is Jesus, What sign do you show to us, seeing that you do these things? Jesus answered and said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body, When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They said, John said, we had heard this, but it wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead that we really, really understood it. What is curious is that the Jewish leaders... understood in the sense of comprehended what Jesus taught about the resurrection. Listen to these words from Matthew. Now on the next day, that's the day after the crucifixion, which is the one after the preparation, the the Passover, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he, that is Jesus, was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I do rise again. These Jewish leaders came to Pilate and said, we remember that that deceiver, that that one that doesn't tell the truth, that Jesus, that liar, we remember that he said, after three days, he's going to rise from the dead. And they were concerned. About that teaching that he was going to rise from the dead. And they said, lest this get worse, give us a guard to put at that tomb so nobody takes the body out of that tomb. Lest things get worse and worse and people say that he rose from the dead. My point is, they understood that Jesus said he would rise from the dead. They didn't put faith in it, but they understood it. And they acted upon it. They said, give us a guard. But the apostles who heard it and understood it didn't act upon it. They weren't sitting there and counting down. Okay, this is the first day. This is the second day. This is the third day. And he's coming forth from the grave. No, they're sitting in their house and they're, they're bemoaning and they're, they're weeping and they're, they're wailing and they're dismayed. Because they believe that Jesus is dead. And they have no anticipation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Jewish leaders hear the story of how an angel came and and how these these, uh, soldiers were overcome and how the stone was miraculously rolled. All that stuff they heard. But they didn't believe They said, let's make up a story and say somebody stole the body. They heard, but they didn't believe. John came, 
saw the empty tube, saw the grave claws, light went on, and he believed. Unlike Mary, who Jesus spoke to, unlike the apostles, who Jesus appeared to, and unlike Thomas, who said, I won't believe unless I am able to put my hands into the nail print of his nails and the wound of his side. But John believes. What insight can we gain from this narrative concerning putting belief and faith and trust in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus? How does John's believing help us to believe? Well, John says in John 19.35, He who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true, and he knows that he has sung the truth so that you might believe. It's helpful to understand the fact that the disciples were not anticipating the resurrection because it is helpful to understand that that is the reason they come to believe in the resurrection. They believe in it because it happened. Uh, it's common to read of liberals' take on the apostles and they view them as being stupid and uh, they believe in the resurrection because they don't know better. Uh, they live in that era of time before great uh, modern technical medical advances have taken place. They were duped thinking that Jesus rose from the dead. Of all the things N.T. Wright has said, I think one of the most profound things is they, those people understood that dead people stay dead. You don't need a license in medicine to know that dead people stay dead. They were used to people dying. And guess what? They stayed dead. The disciples weren't anticipating that a dead person was going to come alive. They weren't anticipating that. They weren't expecting it. And John says, this is when I came to believe it. Because I didn't understand it up to that point. But when I saw those grave clothes, then I believed the scriptures. Then I believed what Jesus said. So, what can we learn from this passage? First, that we should not be complacent in our knowledge of the Scripture. We should rejoice in what we have come to understand and know of the Word of God. But we should be humble in our examination of what we really know and believe concerning the Word of God. Belief is not an all-or-nothing proposition. I hope that you have believed in Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. Book of John is to reveal to us that we need a Savior. And you've been hearing those pleas for the Gospel for the last number of weeks. I hope and trust that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But from this passage we find out that familiarity with the Scriptures does not guarantee understanding. The Pharisees were familiar 
And they understood it in the sense that they acted upon it, but negatively. They could explain it, but they didn't trust it. They didn't rely upon it. They didn't believe it in that sense. The apostles could explain it, but they weren't anticipating it. They They didn't believe in it in that sense. They had the greatest teacher on the face of the earth. And they didn't believe. Believing is not the result of great teaching. It's a result of the work and grace of God. I'm going to save that for three weeks from now. I'm going to drive that home when it says, Blessed are those who have not seen but believe. How blessed they are. How What a wonderful recipient of grace they are. We're seeing right now the recipient of grace on the part of John that he believes. But he had the greatest teacher and didn't understand. We need to realize that that faith grows. It develops. It needs to be nourished. It needs to be matured. And so, I would say to you this morning, do believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And I'd probably get an affirmation. Yes, we do. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And then I would say to you, and I would say to me, but do we really? But do I really? Let's look at the effect of their failure to believe in the resurrection. What what effect it had? Well, first, Because they did not have a confident expectation in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had a misdirected devotion towards God. In John chapter 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb. She was devoted to Jesus Christ. She loved him. She wanted to honor him. She wanted to express her allegiance to him. And so what does she do? She gets up early and goes to the tomb. Why? Well, from a parallel text, we know why. She came to anoint the body of Jesus. She was devoted, but clueless that that body wouldn't be there. How often is our devotion towards God misdirected because we don't really understand his purposes, his will, what he's about? Because they did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they totally misread the earthly, earthly circumstances that they were in. On hearing that the tomb was empty, Mary says, well, somebody must have taken that body away. Peter and John, we find out from the parallel text, when they first hear it at the beginning, say, you're crazy. You're nuts. What are you talking about? And so they go to see Really, to prove her wrong. And they get there and find out the tomb's empty. Without the proper faith, we won't see God's hand at work in the circumstances of our lives, in the difficulties we face. We will be as forlorn and dismayed as the disciples were 
Because they do not have a confident expectation of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a key element lacking in their faith. I hope this morning that you believe in Jesus Christ. I hope that you have come to know him as your Lord and Savior. I hope as you have come to know him as your Lord and Savior that 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 knowledge of him has grown. You're much more aware of salvation and, and God's purposes in your life. And you come to know and place your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, yes, my sins are forgiven and I'm going to be in his presence forever and ever. Wonderful. But I hope you've come to understand more than that. I hope that you've come to understand that there's a purpose in salvation that is bigger and larger than you and me. It is God's purpose and working out His plan that has been in existence from eternity past to eternity future. It's the transformation of this world. And it's the removal of evil. It's the conquering of sin. And it is ultimately expressed in the resurrection and a new heaven and a new earth. And that is our hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our confidence in our resurrection. Because He rose, we will rise. Because He rose, there will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth. There will be a transformation of this world as we know it. There will be a removing of all sin, of all evil. And there will be no more weeping. There will be no more crying. There will be no more curse. So I hope this morning that you are rejoicing in the triumph of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why I say, do we really believe it? May we gain a deeper confidence and appreciation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For that will truly transform us. It will change our attitudes. It will change our behaviors. It will change our decisions. It will change our actions. It will change us as a people living our lives on the face of this earth. Some people are strong in faith. Meaning their, their faith gives them great confidence and boldness and encouragement. Some people are weak in faith. Meaning that their faith doesn't sustain them as it should in hard and difficult Situation. Some people are immature in their faith. They don't understand. They're bewildered. They're confused. They're complex. And yes, some people are despondent in their faith. Like the apostles. After the resurrection. They're after the crucifixion. They're dismayed. Everything seems to have gone wrong. Because they are not anticipating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. People, there's more to this world than the here and now. There is more than this present day. And there's more that God is doing than just being actively involved in your life and my life personally. God has this huge and wonderful agenda that's going to culminate in Jesus Christ returning to this earth physically and reigning over a people and raising us from the dead. 
and then ultimately dwelling with him for all eternity future. There are so many portions of the Word of God that I think most of us are clueless on, even as the apostles were clueless. And when I say clueless, not in the sense that we aren't aware of them, and not even in the sense that if put on the spot, we couldn't explain them. But they haven't affected us. They haven't changed us. They haven't had the impact, the realization, the reality of these things. The truthfulness. The significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, my hope is that by the grace of God, the light may go on. And that we would see And we would examine. And then we would understand the truth of God's word. So what should we do as a result of this passage? It's going to lead me really into the second sermon. But I would say to you, first and foremost, pray. Pray. That God would grant to you and to me eyes that see. For those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that they would understand the gospel and come to faith. And those of us who do know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we would understand that gospel. But we understand it in its fullness. And understand what it means for the supreme reigning power of Jesus Christ. That yes, he's going to save us. And yes, He is going to raise us. But He has saved us with a purpose. To live for His glory, to bring praise to His name, to be instruments of righteousness in this world, and to bring about His kingdom that is going to be established in which He reigns over all and removes evil completely. May we be instruments of God's grace today. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can have confidence. You can have confidence. This morning, there is no reason for you and me to fear death. I say that not in a sense of rebuke, in a sense of encouragement. I look out over this congregation and I'm very much aware that there's suffering and there are terminal diseases. And my heart goes out for the pain that you're experiencing, the suffering that is associated with death and dying, The uncertainty. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior,
there's no reason to fear. You have a great tomorrow. You have a wonderful expectation. It's real. It's true. It's not a myth. It's not a story. It's not a crutch. It's not a placebo. It's not a sugar pill. It's truth. And we who are alive and have every bit of our of our strength need to be taking this message to others. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's the conqueror. He's coming again. May we be bold. May we understand that there's a unique purpose for God's calling of us. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's gift of God, not of works, that any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. God has saved us to serve him. He has left us here to do his work. Nothing, nothing will affect us in that work as much as believing that one day we are going to stand before his presence. And here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you believe that? Do you believe that one day you are going to stand in the presence of Jesus and he's going to commend you for your life that's lived for his honor and his glory? That's the resurrection. He's alive. And we're going to be in his presence. Let us live with that anticipation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great grace and goodness to us. Lord, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus Christ, that today would be that day that they would yield themselves to you. For us who know you, and yes, believe in the resurrection, Lord, may we believe it more fully. May we understand it more intimately. May we acknowledge it more personally. Oh, Lord, somehow, may its vital reality so impress us that we have confidence in standing in your presence. Confidence in knowing that our sins are forgiven because of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And confidence because we have lived this life in anticipation. We have put beside ourselves meaningless, insignificant tasks that are totally irrelevant to eternity. And more and more, we're just consumed with the aspect and understanding that one day we are going to be in the physical presence of Jesus Christ. One day we will rise from the dead. That this life is so temporary and eternity is forever. Oh God, may the light go on for us. In Jesus' name, amen.